How you guys doing? Good. Happy Father's Day to all the fathers out there. Whenever we, uh, we come to a day like this, we want to make sure that we acknowledge something. And it's on a day like Father's Day, uh, for many of us, it's a day of celebration. And for some of us, it's a day of being reminded of things that we are not celebrating. Being reminded of things that are hard. It's something we believe as a church, and we have talked about quite a bit over the years, is that two, th- two things can be true at the same time. We do not have to pretend that grieving and celebration can't coexist. We can share one another's burdens and celebrate one another's joys at the same time. So if you're here today and Father's Day is a great day that you love and you're excited and you celebrate, or if you're here today and Father's Day is a tough day, both are welcome. Neither have to be covered up here. There is space for all of it. We're going to be in Acts chapter 2. If you got a Bible, open up to Acts chapter 2. We're going to start reading near the end of the chapter. We are in our second spiritual discipline for the summer. So some of you know we're spending the summer talking through spiritual disciplines. We're going through six spiritual disciplines, two weeks on each, and we're talking about the corporate practice of that spiritual discipline and the individual practice of that spiritual discipline. So today, everybody get excited because we're talking about the corporate practice of giving. I know everybody's like, why didn't I sleep in today? Like everybody's least favorite thing to talk about in church. But that's what we're talking about today. So today is the corporate practice of giving. Next week is the individual practice of giving, something that for most of Christian history has been considered a spiritual discipline. So we're reading Acts chapter 2. We're going to start reading in verse 42. It says this, They, they being the first church, the first people that gathered like we do, organized like we do in a relational community for the mission of Jesus and discipling one another, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Let's pray. God, we gather as we do every week with one another in your presence to be formed by your word and by you, yourself. We ask that the name of Jesus would be the name that matters today. We ask that what is from me would be forgotten, even revealed so it can be rejected. But if it's from you, let it sink deeply into our hearts that we would be formed in your likeness. We love you, Jesus. Amen. Do you remember when uh, you were younger and you thought that life would make sense when you got older? Yeah. Uh, I got older. (laughs) And it didn't. Um, I remember uh, when I was younger especially, but for much of my life, I have liked the idea of becoming a runner. Any runners in the room? I do not understand any of you. Uh, (laughs) um, If you know me, you know it's ridiculous to think of me running because I absolutely hate running. But I've always liked the idea of being a runner. And I think that when I was young especially, I thought that like you grow up and you get responsible and things that aren't fun seem fun. 
You know, like you grow up and you get responsible and ice cream tastes bad and salad tastes good. That's how it works, right? Like you mature into responsibility. So I imagine that like someday when I was like 25 or 30 or something like that, I was just going to wake up and be like, I'm an adult. I'm going running. So I like bought running shoes in preparation. I mean, I have, uh, I have bought like a Fitbit type thing before and I just took it off and turned it off because I got tired of it telling me to go running. Um, I... <laughs> I have tried running with other people, which worked for like a week, and then I realized I hate running more than I like hanging out with them, so I didn't go running with them. Um, I just, I, like it didn't, it didn't work, because I've realized over the years that being a runner has really nothing to do with liking running. It just has to do with running, right? Like if you want to become a runner, you don't someday, you don't buy all of the materials and prepare to become a runner, you run. The difference between a runner and a non-runner is whether they, like, they get up and run. You don't like, learn to eat healthy because salads start tasting good and barbecue starts tasting bad. No, you just you start eating healthy. That, that's what you do, right? That's, that's how we become something. We don't arrive at it. There's not some magical line in life in which we cross and we just arrive at the things that we've always wanted to become. And I think that that way of thinking is really common in thinking about things like generosity. When we're talking about the corporate practice of, of giving, we're talking about what it means to be a generous community. And it's true of really any spiritual discipline. I think that sometimes we imagine that as I follow Jesus, that eventually I will, I'll become generous. Eventually, I'll just have enough and I will grow into generosity. Or eventually, praying won't feel boring. That will just happen. Or eventually, someday, I'll just wake up and want to pray and read my Bible at 5 a.m. I'm just going to arrive at that somewhere along the way. Because we think, especially with generosity, you know, generosity is a, it's a positive trait. It's something that even outside of faith, we would imagine this is a good thing to be in life. It's a good thing to have in life. We want to attain that. So in general, I think this is the way we think about generosity. All right, this is my, this is my resources. This is my time, my skills, my money. Anything that I can be generous with is represented here. And I have this much extra that I can be generous with, right? So if I want to grow in generosity then I need to take steps so that someday I will be able to be generous. So that means as my resources grow, then my generosity grows, right? I have more that I am able to be generous with. As my resources grow, as my time grows, as my skills grow, my generosity grows. And this is the way we, we think of it. As if someday I will reach a point when I can embody this Spiritual, spiritual discipline or this trait. The problem with this thinking is that it says that generosity is about the gift. That the bigger the gift, the more generous it is. So it imagines that in order to be generous, I have to have more time to give. And if I give more time, I'm more generous. Or in order to be generous, I have to give more money. So I need more money in order to be more generous. It says that generosity is about the thing, the gift, not about the giver. As if running is about the distance you run instead of deciding to run. 
in this story, this example of or description of the early church, we see a generous community represented. It's obvious that this is a generous community. And this community gathers together. It's really the first description of the church and what the church is supposed to be that we find in scripture. And we see that they're devoted in teaching. They gather together consistently. They, uh, They break bread together. They eat meals together. They're not just attending an event, but they're a relationally connected community, which is the core of what a church is. It's a relationally connected community that's pursuing the way of Jesus together and coming under the teaching of the word. And we see this description that says they had everything in common. They sold property and possessions, and that seems, we read that, and it seems like they are making a huge sacrifice. The first thing we see is they sold property, they sold possessions. It seems like, wow, they're generous because they were giving big things. They were giving significant gifts, but I think that's misreading the passage. I don't think the author is trying to emphasize the size of the gift. I think the author is trying to emphasize the reason for the gift. Because it says they sold possessions and they sold property so that no one had a need among them. It wasn't about how much they gave. It was about the reason they gave. They gave in response to need. See, this is what I want to tell you this morning. A generous community is a community that knows and responds to the needs in the community. A generous community is a community that knows and responds to the need. So a generous community, I lost my pen. A generous community doesn't say, oh, I know a need, so I need to gain more so that I can respond to the need. A generous community says, if I have this much, or if I have this much, or if I have this much, and there's a need, I am going to respond however I can to the need, because generosity actually has nothing to do with the gift. Generosity has to do with the giver. Generosity is about the sacrifice of the giver, not about the size of the gift. That's what makes something generous. We don't grow in generosity by having more to give, just like we don't grow in running by buying running shoes. We grow in generosity by giving. We grow in generosity by becoming a more generous person, which happens through the consistent sacrifice of giving and responding to the needs of people around us. Generosity is about the giver. It has absolutely nothing to do with the size of the gift. Now, that's really important because I hate talking about money in church. Can I? I hate it. This is my, we're talking about this for two weeks. These will be my two least favorite sermons I preach this year. I'm not kidding, I hate it. I would rather, I would rather have to preach about like race, sexuality, abortion, and politics all in the same morning. Like pick any controversial topic. I would rather have to preach it all at the same time than money. I hate talking about money. Because listen, I'm a millennial and I get all of the millennial angst. I have been in services where I'm like, there's $500,000 on that stage. Like, what are we doing? I've been at events, I've helped out at events that were like that. I have seen pastors getting rich off the church and I've seen prosperity gospel and I've, I've seen these things that just make my stomach turn when we talk about money. 
And, and I've, I've seen people profiting off of the poor in the name of Jesus. It, it makes me uncomfortable. It, it's worth noting that over the course of church history, that has not been the norm. And globally in Christianity, the norm is actually people serving the church, not necessarily living in poverty, but making less than they could in other places, not profiting off of the church. That's the norm of global Christianity and Christian history. But like you, I also see all the news stories that are about the outliers, and it makes me want to just pretend like we don't have to talk about giving at all. And I've had the days where money was tight, And showing up at church and hearing somebody talk about generosity and talk about giving sacrificially just felt like poking at a wound. I have been there. I have felt that. I hate it. I hate talking about money. But the reality is, first off, that it is one of the most common things talked about in Scripture. It's an unavoidable reality that one of the most consistent topics discussed in scripture is money. Because when we talk about money and wealth and resources, we're talking about power. We're talking about identity. We're talking about the ability to influence the world around us. We're talking about the thing through which most of the systems of the world function. When the Bible talks about money, it's not just talking about our bank accounts. It's talking about how the world works, really. In many cases, it's common It's about identity. It's about where I see my value. Jesus would say where your treasure is, there your heart is. And he wasn't talking about where you keep your money. He was talking about what you consider valuable. Because it's core to the life life as we know it. But I've also realized that my own inhibitions to talk about money have actually kept me from talking about generosity. If I can just be honest with you, I, I've come to believe that the way we respond to, um, to generosity and the way we give is part of our discipleship. Um, it's a core description of, of the church, of God, and of followers of Jesus in Scripture. And I've realized that for me, talking about money has kept me from talking about generosity. And part of the problem with that is that it's hard for me to be generous if all I'm thinking about is money. Money can actually become a barrier to generosity. Here's what I mean. If somebody comes to me and says, I have a need, but my idea of generosity is always framed around finances, then my response to that need is going to be, do I have enough to help? Yes or no. Not, how can I help? Because somebody might come to me and say, you know what, man, I I lost my job. We're, not, we're, we're having a really hard time making ends meet this month. And if all I'm thinking about is money and not generosity, not responding to the needs of the community, then I might say, well, I mean, we're barely making ends meet too. I don't have any, I'm sorry, I can't help you. But if, but if generosity is the spiritual discipline I'm practicing within my community, then my response to that might be, you know what, let me see who I can call. I know some small business owners, I might be able to get you a job. See, that's generosity. Because it's responding to the need. Or or it might be, you know what? We don't have much extra right now, but we can babysit for you while you go to interviews for a new job. I could leverage my time for you. Do you you see how it changes when my perspective is generosity? You know, in in late 2021, uh, Jen and I had a really tough financial situation. We had a car that the clutch went out. 
um, which is a very expensive fix. Um, and then a week after that, it, the car got totaled by a drunk driver on 85. It's a crazy story. I basically lived an episode of Cops. It was weird. Um, but so the car got totaled. And while we were waiting to figure out insurance, which took forever and was not fun, the clutch in our other car went out. So we wound up with no vehicles and like no prospects of getting another vehicle because we needed insurance to get figured out before we could even look at another vehicle to replace the one that had been totaled. And we had two separate people. We had a, friends of ours that said, hey, we've got a car we don't need right now. So while you're waiting for your car to get out of the shop, here you can use it. And we had other friends who were in this room as part of our community. They said, you know what, we've got a car sitting in the parking lot in our apartment complex that we don't use. You can use it for as long as you want. And you know what, I was able to actually keep going to work and my wife was able to keep going to work because there were people around us who didn't say, do I have enough money to help you out? They said, you have a need and I'm gonna figure out how to respond to that need because they were motivated by generosity, not by finances. Because, listen, I hate talking about money, but generosity has so much, has to do with so much more than our money and our finances because it's not about our resources. Generosity has absolutely nothing to do with the resources we have with which to give. Generosity has to do with the way we respond to the needs around us. Do you see the difference? A lot of us are looking at our lives and we're saying, man, I wish I could be a generous person. I can't wait until someday when we're able to be generous. And we're looking at ideals of other people who are giving financially or they've got a really big house so they can let somebody crash in their extra guest bedroom and they're saying, I can't wait till I'm there so I can bless people. But see, here's the thing. As your resources grow, your generosity doesn't, just your resources do. Jesus told this really interesting story. He was sitting in the synagogue while people were bringing in their gifts and there were these very wealthy people who were dropping giant offerings into the plate. And then there was a widow who came and she gave two mites, it says, which was basically nothing. And Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, hey guys, she gave more than anyone else. And they were confused. And then Jesus said, they gave out of their abundance, but she gave all she had. Because generosity has nothing to do with the size of the gift. Generosity has to do with the giver. Generosity does not grow as resources grow. There's a philosopher, his name's G.K. Chesterton, and I'm, I'm paraphrasing the quote, but he says, you will rarely find a truly generous person among the rich because they might give away the mo their money, but they will never give away them themselves. Because generosity has very little to do with the gift and everything to do with the giver. We grow in generosity as we grow. So a generous community is a community that knows and responds to the needs in the community. And herein lies the inhibitor of generosity in the community, in any community. Because everybody I know wants to have enough to be able to be generous. I don't know anybody that's like, yeah, I'm just like, I don't want more money because I don't want to be a generous person. Everybody wants to be able to help somebody else out. But I don't know anybody who wants to admit they have a need. 
and a generous community knows and responds to the needs of the community. So it is part of the corporate practice of the spiritual discipline of generosity when we share our needs with one another. Did you hear that? It is part of the corporate practice of generosity when we acknowledge and are honest about our needs with one another. Because a generous, a community cannot be generous if it does not know the needs to respond to. Because generosity is responsive to the needs around it. Generosity is not a set amount that we give. Generosity is responding to the needs around us, the needs within our community and the needs in the world around us. And this is why it's a spiritual discipline. This is why it's a spiritual discipline. Because the thing, the lie or struggle that keeps me from admitting when I have a need is the same lie or struggle that tells me someday when I have more I can give. And it's the struggle that says, you shouldn't need help. You should be independent. You should be able to take care of yourself. I grew up watching Western movies in the South. I learned as early as possible that men don't need help. All right, men kick open the saloon doors, shoot the bad guys, and throw them out the window. Men don't, like, our culture does not need help. We don't value needing help. It looks like failure to need help. So our whole perspective says, I've got to take care of myself, and once I get myself fully taken care of, then I can take care of other people. And what that means is, I certainly don't admit that I have a need, because that means I can't take care of myself, and I can't help you out until I have more, because I've got to take care of myself, because we can't have a need. We have this mythology of the self-made person, which just for the record doesn't exist, biblically speaking, because <laughs> everyone is dependent. Every human being you have ever met is dependent on God and other people. Every human being you've ever met is dependent on God and other people. That includes the one in the mirror. Every single one of us are dependent on God and other people. So when we acknowledge our needs, we practice the reality of God's generosity. When I acknowledge my need, it forces me to physically trust that God is the provider of my need. And it forces me to embody the reality that the hands and feet of Jesus on earth are his church. So when I confess my needs in the body of Christ, I'm not asking for a handout. I'm acknowledging my reality. And it gives my community the ability not to fix my problem for me, because we might not be able to do that, but to respond any way we can to the needs represented in that person. And when I respond to a need not by evaluating my own situation but by creatively asking how can I help how can I respond to this person then I am embodying the truth that I am dependent on God so I can give away what I've been given because God gave it to me in the first place and I am the hands and feet of Jesus so God will provide for the people around me through my obedience do you see how we live in the life of Jesus when we practice generosity it's a community spiritual discipline that has nothing to do with how much I give, has more to do with how much I admit. I'm probably more generous by acknowledging the truth of my need than I am by writing a big check. We cannot be a generous community if we are not an honest community. 
because we respond to the needs in the community. This is generosity. And it forms us into the way of Jesus. It's a spiritual discipline. You remember a few weeks ago we said a spiritual discipline is a physical action that creates space for inner transformation. Generosity is a physical action that creates space in my heart to be aligned with the generosity of the character of God. You know, uh, some of you are familiar with this story. Um, A few months ago we had um, someone in the community that um, had a very significant medical issue um, that was interrupting their daily life in a really significant way. Um, And um, the insurance had denied their request for treatment. Um, So they couldn't afford to get treatment for this thing that was um, largely debilitating to them. And they struggled for a really long time and they'd begun wondering, how how am I going to figure this out? Am I just going to have to live with this? Am I going to learn how to manage the pain? What's going to happen? And finally, someone in their fold group found out how much that thing was going to cost. And what was interesting was that that person didn't say, do I have enough money to fix it? The answer wasn't financial because that person said, you know what, I can't just pull this out of my bank account and pay for this, but I can respond to this need. And that person in their fold group went secretly to the rest of their fold group. It's the only good reason to keep a secret behind somebody's back. They kept a secret with their fold group, and they got together and raised the money through the fold group and through friends and responded to the need. And they were able to actually give this person more than they needed to pay the medical bill so that this person could get treatment. It was genuinely life-changing for this person because it alleviated pain that had been debilitating them for months. This is what a generous community looks like. It's not when we say, I have enough to take care of you. It's when we say, you have a need and I'm going to do something about it. And it's also when we trust one another with our needs. When we're willing to trust one another and be honest about what's actually going on in our lives so that we can embody the way of Jesus together. Generosity is in giving and receiving. Everybody wants to be a giver because everybody wants to be able to help. Just for the record, nobody really likes to give sacrificially. Everybody just likes to have enough extra that we can give and it won't hurt that bad. Generosity requires honesty, spiritual needs, physical needs, emotional needs, acknowledging our needs, and then leveraging what we have to respond. The most generous person, one of the most generous people I know, his name's Scott. Um, He can fix anything at any time. Um, He travels around with basically a tool shed in the back of his car. And every time he's been to my house, he fixes something. Stuff I didn't even know was broken. He just fixes it. It's like, there have been multiple times he's been at my house, and I'm like, Scott, just eat the barbecue, don't fix the fence. Just chill, man. Like, but he's leveraging his skill set to be generous to the needs he sees around him. This is the way of Jesus embodied in the people of God. This is what a generous community looks like when we know and notice the needs around us and respond with our skills and time and energy and resources to meet the needs in our community. And when we do so, it shows the world the story of a God that is generous. Do you see that? Do you see that it says... the Lord added to their number daily people that were being saved. It wasn't because there were really good sermons or really great music or something like that. It was because the world around them looked and was like, people are getting their needs taken care of there. Like, they're honest. They're not hiding. That's a community people want to be part of. 
because it reflects the true generosity of Jesus, not a performative, event-based perspective of church. Do you see the difference? So this is how we respond. We admit our needs, and we respond to the needs of those around us. So today, maybe you have a need that you have because you feel like you're not supposed to need help, not been admitting. Maybe it's a relational need. Maybe it's an emotional need. Maybe you need someone to disciple you or you need someone to explain scripture to you because you have a hard time understanding. Maybe it's a financial need. But you've got a need and you feel like you're not supposed to need help so you haven't admitted it. And the way you can embody generosity as a community spiritual discipline is to admit that need to people that you trust in the community. And maybe for you today, there's a need that you know about and your reaction has been, I don't have enough money to help or I don't have enough time to help. And the response for you is to say, maybe I don't need money to help. Maybe there's a different way I can help and to respond to the need rather than evaluating your own situation. In doing so, we are formed into the way of Jesus and we show the world the truth of a generous God. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you. We thank you for your generosity to us. We thank you that we learn what it means to be generous because you respond to our needs. We thank you that you did not you did not withhold based on our deserving, but that you generously gave, not just out of your abundance, but out of yourself so that we could be saved. God, teach us to be a generous people who both know and confess and respond to the needs around us. Teach us to be people who embody your way so that we can show the world who you are. We love you, Jesus. Amen.